Our scripture passage today comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 27 to 34. Jeremiah writes, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as we continue the conversation of what is it like to be adopted, to be adopted into the household of God. Now, uh, some of you know that over the last couple of months for the spring semester, I have been teaching a course at Foundation Preparatory Academy. Eighth and ninth graders, biblical worldview. I have never aspired uh, to be a teacher. Uh, and in fact, this experience, I thought I was being um, magnanimous in saying, oh no, I'll volunteer, don't pay me. <sighs> I truly believe we should pay teachers like we pay investment bankers. Good gosh, right? Now, <laughs> so you might ask, how in the world did I get there? Um, I got there because there was a teacher who was unable to complete the spring semester, and they looked around the board of directors and they went, hey Peter, you've got a fancy theological degree, why don't you do it? And I will never take a job again that I don't have a skill set for. Wow. So one of the things I've done with the kids every time we get together is I say to them, when they worry, is this going to be on the test? Or, or when they worry, is the, is the homework going to be hard? Uh, when they worry about what's next, I say, you can relax, because I am a kind and benevolent overlord. The first day I said that, this uh, uh, little Baptist boy, uh, he raised his hand and he said, that doesn't go together. And I said, yeah, it does. You'll find out, right? I'm a kind and benevolent overlord. Because at the end of the day, this is not a democracy. It's a meocracy, right? It's not about we're going to debate or vote about what uh, grade is going to be a major assessment. No, I get to decide. It's me. I'm the overlord, but I'm kind and I'm benevolent. 
It's really interesting. Uh, they, they don't like that. They, they, uh, these days, after spring break, they've been really cute. They'll actually say it with me. <laughs> they know what I'm about to say it. And they go, remember, I'll say, remember, and they'll say, you are a kind and benevolent overlord. And I'm like, got it. That's right. Isn't it interesting that even in those places where things should be good for us, we still want to rebel? Like in those places where it is set out for us, right? If they knew how I had no mean bone in my body, they would know how good they got it, right? Uh, in fact, I put up six essays for uh, their um, uh, mid-semester uh, 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 exam, and they said, six essays? It's like we gotta write six paragraphs. <laughs> I was like, for one, yeah. <laughs> six times six is 36. They said, no, you can't make us do six essays. I said, all right, so how many do you usually do? Two. And I said, great, I'll pick which two. And they said, you have to tell us which two. I'm like, really? Is that how easy it is for y'all these days? They tell you the, the questions so you can figure out the answers before the test? As I remember in seminary, when they'd, you know, they'd ask you the birth and death date of John Wesley, and we're like, oh, I didn't memorize it, right? And they're like, we're not in seminary. Like, oh. So I had them vote for their two favorite, and I voted for my two favorite, and the two that we didn't vote on, that was what was on the list. <laughs> they didn't like that either. Isn't it strange that when the game is set up for us to succeed, we still have that desire to rebel? I, I, I'm a, um, a fan of the onion. Uh, the Onion is a humor magazine. Uh, it is silly and irreverent. Uh, not everything do I agree with, but I love just the common sense uh, of their headlines and the humor that comes from them, right? Um, so the, the Onion is a, a, a humorous news uh, site, so nothing that they say is true, right? Now, you can go find another website that says Not the Onion, which will run true stories that should have been in The Onion, right? Uh, but here are some of the uh, headlines that The Onion have run in the last 25 years. Study reveals that babies are not smart. D d oh, re okay, so like the early service laughed at these? So they've been vetted, the jokes are good, right? <laughs> CIA realizes it's been using black highlighters all along. <laughs> okay, that one, that, yeah, that played, all right, good. Um, <clears throat> this is my favorite. Um, Exercise ball, way over there. <laughs> uh, winner of pie eating contest didn't even know it was a contest. <laughs> How about this last one? Archaeological dig discovers ancient race of skeleton people. So you got the rhythm, right? You know what I'm talking about, this kind of onion uh, hilariousness. So let's move to the, the, the factual, the not the onion. There's a story run in 2011 about uh, a 4th of July weekend of uh, motorcyclists that were um, uh, gathering and riding in New York. They were riding to protest a recently adopted helmet law. And on the, the ride, um, there was one gentleman protesting the helmet law, not wearing a helmet, who was in an accident and died. And the doctors um, said that if he had been wearing a helmet, he would have survived the accident. Now, now, I don't have a dog in either hunt of whether you should have a helmet or not have a helmet, but can you appreciate the headline? 
Man protests law that would have saved his life. Sounds like you could put that out for a sermon title as well. Church protests law that forgives their sins. Church protests God who forgives them of their iniquity. See, it's kind of a strange piece here. The law, uh, we often think about the law living on uh, the Bible, on, on, a, on a piece of paper. And it's kind of nice, right? Because we can argue about it, right? If it's not on my heart, then it's on the paper and we can argue about it. Was it seven 24-hour days of creation or not? Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Is that practical uh, or is that spiritual? Is he just saying spiritually, take up your cross and follow me? Or is he saying, no, get out there and suffer for others because I suffered for you. It's always easier to argue about it when it's not written on our hearts. Our scripture passage today comes from uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who was known for a lot of things, but would have not been known as the happy prophet I've told y'all before that when the prophet shows up on your doorstep, rings your doorbell, you open it up and say, hey prophet, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. God doesn't send the prophet to the people who are doing the right. God sends the prophet to those who are doing wrong to call them back home. And in this instance, uh, Jeremiah was um, going to the people of Israel, uh, talking to them while they were in exile and captivity in Babylon, and telling them about how one day, there's a day of hope when you'll be able to go home. Now the problem with saying there will be a day of hope is to admit that it's not today, that you'll have to wait. Now this uh, passage that we read today, um, it is in the middle of the book of Consolation. They divide up Jeremiah into a couple of different sections. The book of Consolation, um, this, let's see, Consolation as used in this biblical text uh, would be a lot like um, if you put your child in timeout and midway through they cry for justice, you give them consolation by saying, you only got five more minutes, right? You only got five more minutes. It's not like the warm, fuzzy, set you free, forgive you of all consequences, all as well. But no, it's like, yeah, it does stink, but you deserved it, right? It's, you got five more minutes. So in the midst of you got five more minutes, uh, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, there's a day that's coming that is filled with hope where there will be a new covenant. Now, I'm gonna tell you, as a biblical scholar, there is only one time in which the Hebrew word for new and the Hebrew word for covenant come right next to each other and say, new covenant, and it's right here. This is a new thing that God's doing. God says, we're not gonna live by that old covenant, the one that you got from Mount Sinai, the one that had the 10 commandments carved on stone, uh, the 10 commandments that while Moses was up getting them, you were having a party, putting together some idols with all your gold and silver. We're, we're not gonna have that covenant anymore. There's gonna be a new covenant. We're not gonna worry about all the grumbling and griping that you did as we went across the desert to find the promised land, nor will we worry about the ways in which you didn't follow my instructions when I said to go into the promised land. You see, you've been unfaithful, but God says, I will be faithful. Now, when he says that, he's uh, alluding to the other, one of the other prophets, uh, Hosea. If you're familiar with the um, story of Hosea, it really should not be on basic cable. Or you're not familiar with the story of Hosea. Um, so, um, so Hosea had a childhood, uh, a high school sweetheart. Uh, her name was Gomer. We can talk about the injustice of that name some other day. 
Hopefully your ancestors didn't have the word, the name Gomer. But um, so, uh, so Hosea had uh, a high school sweetheart named Gomer. And uh, Gomer had a really hard uh, time. Um, she uh, got messed up with drugs. She went down to the red light district uh, to kind of uh, take care of her habits. She sold uh, herself. Um, she violated the marriage that uh, Homer and Gomer, Hosea, sorry, Homer's different, Gomer, Hosea, there we go, um, had together. And God calls uh, Hosea to be a prophet. And he says, how should I be a prophet? And God says, go down to the red light district, go find your wife, go bring her home, clean her up and love her like the queen and princess that she is. Forgive her of her trespasses. And so he goes to the red light district and he finds uh, his wife in a drug uh, induced craze uh, in the middle of uh, making choices that no one should make. And she, he brings her home and he cleans her up and she loves, he loves her like uh, the wife that she is. And, and Gomer goes back to the red light district and goes back to her addiction and uh, forsakes her marriage. And God says again, go and get her. And so this time when uh, Hosea goes to get her, he goes to the red light district and there on the auction block, they're about to sell his wife into slavery. And God says to her, buy her back, pay whatever price is needed. And so Hosea does and he brings her home. You see, when God says, I will be a faithful husband, even though you weren't, he's alluding to that story of how Israel has such a hard time staying true to the covenant. But here in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah says, God says there's coming a day when there will be a new covenant, a covenant where you don't have to uh, teach each other no God. Like that's K-N-O-W, not N-O, uh, okay. Um, but rather you will know God. In fact, this passage of scripture is so popular that New Testament writers pick it up and continue it on. Just yesterday at Raleigh Gore's memorial, we read from Revelation 21, one through seven, which is the same idea. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth will pass away and the sea will be no more. And I saw Jerusalem, the holy city, adorned as a bride coming down out of heaven, uh, fit for her husband. And God said, the first thing shall pass away. There'll be no more crying, no pain, no suffering anymore. I will wipe away the tears from your eyes. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a God I could spend time with. So Jeremiah says, there's a new day coming, a day of hope, a day of transformation a day when we don't have to study for the test, but that God has written the test, the knowledge, the wisdom on our hearts and formed our minds. And it is all that we can do but to praise the God who gave us life and breath. No longer does the law live outside of us, but it has become a part of us. If you're following, it's the idea that uh, we have, uh, don't need to be taught the values, we've caught them because folk have surrounded us with the love of God. You know, I think in our culture, we are all about the rebel. I mean, think about that. We love the underdog, right? Boston White Sox, they didn't win a World Series. They won them. Boy, you'd think everybody had been lifelong uh, White Sox fans. You, you look at um, any place uh, in our culture, right, whether it's uh, rebels against uh, the imperial empire of Darth Vader, or whether it's the American revolutionary forces versus the Redcoats, or Gryffindor versus Slytherin, I don't care where you go, we love an underdog. 
Think about how many of you who love Star Trek who root for the people who wear red shirts. We don't even know their names. And you know they're going planetside, they're not coming back. But you're like, go red shirts. We love a rebel. But when we find ourselves inside the house of God, the need to rebel, rebel, needs to pass. We need to come to the realization that God is not the empire, that God is not British, that God is not the evil genius planning to kill the fun and to ruin our vacation by lopping rules on top of us, but rather God is a God who desires deeply to be in relationship with us. That when we realize that God is less about us thinking he's the fun killer and more like the father and the prodigal son story, we are close to the truth. The prodigal son welcome, the prodigal, the father of the prodigal son welcomes the son home with open arms. Some interpreters would say he stayed outside looking down the road, waiting for the day the son would come home. It's the kind of God that we serve. Why do we think rebellion is so helpful? When we uh, rebel, um, we are cutting ourselves off uh, from the person who gives us life. Uh, when we finally learn that God isn't setting rules just to set rules, but rather that God is interested in freeing us, forgiving us, feeding us, and sheltering us, we realize it ain't bad to go home and to live in God's house. I, I love um, Pixar uh, movies. They're just so good, right? They're kind of like the old Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner ones, right? You, you could sit and watch them and your kid would laugh at one level of jokes and you'd laugh at the other level of jokes. It's kind of fun. Uh, well, well, it's interesting to know that Pixar also has a nice theological core to a lot of their stories. I love the Toy Story, um, the original one, uh, where um, uh, the cowboy toy Woody uh, has to learn what it's like to be usurped by the spaceman toy uh, Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz Lightyear has to learn what it's like to be loved by Andy. You see, Buzz Lightyear loved the idea that there are many of us. I am Buzz Lightyear. We are all together, right? He had the script down of being Buzz Lightyear. But what he needed to learn was that he was not one of many, but that he was Andy's. And that there was nothing that he had done to get Andy's love except being Buzz. I love that moment when uh, Woody shows the bottom of his foot where Andy had written his name on Woody and then writes his name on Buzz. You see, we are not alone adrift in the world as orphans looking out for number one, taking care of our own, protecting us from others, but rather we are adopted children of the living King who wants to give us everything. And just today, we adopted into God's household, Kennedy, and she is doing a really good job of sleeping through my sermon. This is good. <laughs> but what wonders and blessings and gifts await Kennedy in her life because of the adoption into the family of Christ. It's not unlike uh, what will happen um, in a few months when we send on the gifts that are collected today for Zoe Ministries. We will, just like how God has adopted us, we will be adopting um, African orphans who were panhandling. And over the course of three years of empowerment, they will um, leave that program as members of their community, oftentimes small business owners, employing others of their working group family and together providing for each other. 
It's powerful to be part of a family. It's powerful to realize the love of God is not about how good we are or how bad we are, but because of the fact that God has written God's name on our hearts. It's good to go home. It's good to belong. It's good to be forgiven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right. We, uh, thank you so much for those uh, gifts towards Zoe. Um, we, we love the heavy boxes, but we also like the, uh, the light boxes with large denomination bills. That's good to <laughs> Um, we'll count uh, the money tomorrow. The hope is to uh, get to the point of $7,500 so that we can partner with a working group, which is uh, between 60 and 100 uh, orphans who are uh, together in one village uh, working through the three-year program. Over the course of three years, they will know about us. We will know about them. Uh, we will be able to send them uh, gifts and letters. Uh, they will be able to communicate with us as well uh, through the uh, working group uh, leadership. So what an exciting time in the life of the church. Uh, friends, Chapel and United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, and not to scatter those steps everywhere, but to line them up in such a way that we raise a generation in faith that kiddos like Kennedy have a discipleship path to become faithful, vital, fruitful adult Christians. It's, a, it's our, our goal, it's our vision, it's our desire, it's what we wish to see in the world, it's everything that we organize what we're doing. We believe that four basic behaviors lead to adult Christians, right? Certainly uh, the Holy Spirit, but also having a call beyond ourselves, being a high expectation community. That's what we've been talking about today. What other church spends uh, five weeks uh, to raise $7,500 for somebody else's kids? High expectation. Um, uh, uh, to be fluent in the faith, especially the hope that we find in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And lastly, to be the kind of church that spots God active in the world, because God isn't far and removed and distant. God is in our lives, intervening, uh, bringing about grace and forgiveness and beauty. And when we start paying attention to it, we see it everywhere. Friends, I hope that your next step uh, will be to um, continue to move into the places where God's called you. Uh, maybe this um, uh, sermon has stirred up something for you. Come join me on uh, Thursday nights at seven o'clock at Michael Heather's house. There's about 12 of us that meet, and I don't say much of anything. Uh, they struggle and talk about what the sermon means for them. If you're not excited about uh, joining 12 other people, hey, great, I'll come to your house and we'll get 10 people to come to your house. Uh, I'm willing to, to meet and to do wherever we can have a conversation about vital discipleship. Uh, and if this is a place uh, where, um, where God's calling you to make your home, where you're a guest, uh, you've been journeying through um, uh, the community with us, I'd love for you to decide today to come down during the closing hymn, talk to one of the pastors, and let us plan for the day uh, of your joining. For now, why don't we focus uh, on our closing hymn as David Hill comes to lead us and have thine own way, Lord. All right, uh, grab a hand next to you. Um, doesn't have to be everybody's hand, but grab somebody's hand. Um, and if you'd like to, uh, to greet uh, Kennedy, you're welcome to come on up uh, to the front row afterwards. Um, I guess I need to hold somebody's hand. Here we go. Let's have a prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks that there is a day of hope coming, that there's a new covenant where you've written your love on our hearts, that we bear your name, 
that we are forgiven disciples of yours. Send us out into the world to tell others about how good it is to live in your house and help us to call them home so that they can live there with you too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Wonderful.